0: WERU comes from Village Soup and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com.
1: Our apologies for running a little bit late this afternoon. The time is 4.01, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org and available everywhere on our new smartphone app. So check that out. Coming up next, we've got Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993, and we operate out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and Talk of the Towns. Well, this afternoon we're going to um, inaugurate um, a new time, a new day, but I'm happy to have my um, co host from 1993. Um, we both have grayer hair now. Uh, Jill Goldthwaite is back with us. Welcome to you, Jill.
1: Thanks, Ron. It's great to be back.
2: And it was really your idea um, to um, focus on the, the question of knitting. And so um, I've called the show Knitting as Craft, Knitting as a Life Force. And in addition to Jill, um, we have Michelle McCann. Um, uh, Michelle is the originator of KnitFit at the MDIYMCA. And Diana Krawchuk is the blogger for Diana Knits. Welcome to both of you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: We're going to be joined a little later by Jen Crandall. Um, But Jill, perhaps you could um, kind of start and and just introduce yourself a little bit um, and your connection to knitting.
1: Well, (laughs) my connection to knitting is one of um, uh, frequent frustration, (laughs) which is what is the great salvation of a knitting group. I started knitting as a kid. I'm not sure I remember exactly whether it was my mom or my aunts or my sister. Probably all of them got me started on knitting, and I knitted quite a bit through high school and college, and then I had a family, and I probably didn't knit for maybe 20-plus years um, much at all. And picked it up again when my family was grown and gone. And uh, the thing that has made the biggest difference in my life, as well as in my knitting, is finding a knitting group. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that made me think about this as a good subject for a community radio show. Because knitting really is a community. And it's great to knit at home or on the bus or whatever, but it is really fun to knit with a group of people. And we are fortunate. Uh, Diana and Michelle and I are all in a group that meets at the Jessup Library on Thursdays from 6 to 8. The Jessup has been a wonderful host to us. We've tried to repay that favor in many ways. Um, But we just get together and knit and talk. And there are new knitters who are learning. There are knitters who, like me, don't do anything too um, exotic in our knitting. But if I get in trouble, I know there's somebody there to sort me out again. There is Diana, who is the black belt knitter in our group. I'm looking at her amazing sweater right now. I wouldn't even dare to pick up needles to start something that looks so beautiful. And Michelle, who is the free-range knitter, who uh, (laughs) kind of rarely either, she may start out with a pattern, but she may actually start knitting not even knowing what she's making. And as it grows, she'll look at it and say, hmm, I think this might be a skirt. (laughs) And then suddenly, (laughs) it's a skirt.
2: Michelle, how did you get started with knitting?
0: Well, my mother didn't knit. Um, She had other talents, but not knitting. But uh, when I was 7 or 8 years old, I received a um, beginner knitting kit for Christmas gift, and it was one of those with the big plastic needles and the scratchy yarn. And the booklet had, like, one diagram per page, so you had to keep flipping it. And I remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom And trying to piece this together, getting good and frustrated, so that didn't work. But I had neighbors uh, who I babysat for, and these women all knit. So I would go for my babysitting job and bring my knitting, and they coached me. They really saved me. So I never stopped knitting after that, and now my knitting is like my constant Companion, I start every day knitting. I end every day knitting.
2: Wow. So. And you're wearing something that you've knit?
0: Yes. And so I usually have something on that, you know, just to share the craft with people. And so this is, yeah, semi-original. That's
1: how my patterns end up. What are we so. calling those these days? Capelets, is that the name? Yeah, I'm calling this one a cozy. Well, it is like a cozy. It goes over your yeah. head and down your arms, but it doesn't have sleeves or armholes. It's just like a, a short cape. This is my W-E-R-U ah. cozy. <laughs>
2: there you go. Well, Diana, how did you get started with this? Um, you've made uh, kind of a career of it, but you started somewhere else probably.
3: Oh, absolutely. I am someone who always was obsessive about a craft, no matter what it was. I would get into anything. And the way I got into knitting, my grandmother knit, but I didn't pay a bit of attention. Mm -hmm. And I was in grad school, and I was going away for a weekend, and there was this kit in Barnes & Noble, which turned out to be one of the worst descriptions of how to knit that you could find, um, because I did spend all night of my romantic getaway instead of being romantic, obsessing over how to do the knit stitch. And that's a real characteristic of mine. So Jill mentioned the sweater I'm wearing. For me, knitting is the challenge that I love. I want to get, I want to do the most difficult things I can. I will spend hours fixing one thing. And one of the reasons I got into blogging was I I saw patterns and I, I actually follow patterns, mm-hmm. but I almost always alter them drastically. Mm-hmm. Some cases people don't recognize the original pattern, but I actually completely used it. Um, I'll, I'll cut things, I'll take my scissors to them, treat them like fabric, turn them upside down, I've I wear things backwards, I'll do anything it takes to make something wearable. For mm-hmm. me, that's the ultimate mm-hmm. Goal and pleasure. To be able so to wear.
2: it sounds like there's a product and there's a process. Yes, yes. And so, how do you distinguish between those two? You say you're really interested in that product. It's yes. something that you can wear. Mm-hmm. What's the process like for you?
3: That's a great question because it, it can be very frustrating as well. Um, knitting is this weird combination of this absolute, like, complete investment in it and enjoying every moment of a lot of it, and then some moments when you really want to tear it all out and Mm. scream and run from the room so for me it's a very up and down it's like a relationship you have a relationship with each piece you're making Mm. some don't really work out and they (laughs) they either stay in a basket for years maybe you find your love again or you decide you're going to rip it apart and actually make something you want that's Mm. better Mm. and so that's how i
2: feel Michelle, what's your process like? Is you know, some people have talked about knitting as meditation. Yes. Is, does you find it like my, that?
0: My process is that you get your needles and your yarn, and you let the yarn speak to you. And so, when I pick my, up my needles, I I'm a pianist by training, right? So I just love the rhythmic aspect of the interplay of the yarn and the needles, and I find that extremely meditative um and so uh, that's why I start my day with my knitting um and the yarn will speak to you and then you'll be off and doing something quite uh <coughs> free uh so that's kind of my angle on knitting which is what can knitting give to me you know, how does it improve my wellness and my health? Mm. And I have developed a pattern as well where you would inhale. It's a breathing practice. Mm. You could inhale with uh, your knit stitches and exhale on your pearls. It becomes like a mantra your knit, one, two, three, four, and pearl, one, two, three, four. So I love those, the healthy benefits of the knitting process. Mm.
2: Jill, do you have a process or do you are you more to the product or what, what's well, your it ain't
1: meditative. <laughs> <laughs> Um Michelle's motto is always go forward she can always continue <laughs> something she's making uh, without having to retreat in the face of disaster I am the opposite I can't stand it if I find a mistake there are ways to fix some mistakes without undoing whole things but it's very difficult for me to keep going if there's a flaw in the In the object i would rather rip it out as frustrating as that is my husband calls that knitting backwards and uh, i'd rather rip it out and and rebuild it and make it right so i'm much more rule-bound pattern focused um i wish i was looser about it just this morning (laughs) i was working on a project i was looking for help from michelle and she said is that yarn happy on those needles? <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: I don't know. I'm sorry. So, this is the Michelle Kondo approach <laughs> exactly. to, to knitting.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I tend to be um, a basic knitter, I would say. I do things that are, you know, some cables and things that make that more interesting than just straight knitting along. But I do not go with the freeform approach so much. And I certainly don't have the technical skills that Diana has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
2: so we we'll, we'll, i think we've we've decided that uh, um our phone guest Jen Crandall has more of the history of knitting mm-hmm. but you know what do we do you have a sense um even back 100 years 150 years 200 years what what, what do you sense that pattern was mostly for clothing mostly for clothing yeah.
1: and i think yes. you know they had sheep and they had sticks um right. so and they needed warm—I'm thinking when I'm saying they, I'm thinking of Scandinavian countries, the Scottish Isles, places like that. Um, they needed warm clothing, and wool is magical. It's warm. It's it's not waterproof, but it's warm even when it's wet, and um, it lasts forever. At least the good old yarns would last forever. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was probably born of necessity, but also became a matter of pride, just as— Maine women take pride in their baking skills or uh, homemaking skills, things like that. And I think women took pride in their knitting, but the embellishments probably followed the necessity, I would assume.
2: Diana, anything to add to, to that? Yeah,
3: I, would, I wanted to bring the men into it because I mm-hmm. don't know a lot about history, but one of the things that stuck in my head that I learned was that really in Europe, um, the men were the knitters in the past to make silk stockings, very fine needles, very mm-hmm. fine thread. And um, it's interesting that we've moved really to a lot of women making knitting. But if you look out there now with the way things have progressed since I think I'm going to say the 90s, you're starting to see this wonderful movement of all genders and people knitting and and making these things and i'd love to go back and know more about how the gender shift occurred back then Mm. um Mm. and you know that it's just it's very interesting to me i do have to say my husband loves the knits i make from for him there is there are so many fewer patterns for men than Women mm-hmm. um, women do wear more types of clothing, perhaps, or more styles, so they're going to get more patterns. And it's really sad. I have a lot of followers reach out to me, where can I find a men's pattern like this or that? And, you know, a lot, you know what, pe- women have to basically create them mm. if they want to make that for them. Mm-hmm. Just, it's not happening as much as it, it should, and I think it's really getting better, though.
2: Mm. And what are the basic tools? Sticks and wool. Um, mm-hmm. um, what how, what are the tools that you kind of mostly go to?
3: <laughs> oh, it, it's You said it. There's really not <laughs> much more to it. You just need the needles. You can choose if they're straight or circles. I only knit on circular needles. And what that means is that I can knit in a loop that's connected, so an infinite circle like a hat, or I can knit back and forth on those needles. So I don't need to buy more than that to do what I need to do. So that's what I do. And as far as wool goes, I don't know. Um, There are some people who've probably seen a recent video of mine showing my craft room. Um, I should say my craft storage room. And my closet, so I have a lot of wool. Michelle probably has quite a lot of wool. <laughs> I hear about a magical attic of yours.
0: Oh yes, I do have quite a stash. But um, really, it's just the simplicity of those needles and the uh, and and the yarn interplay. That's, I mean, you you could have a very elaborate um, what collection of needles and and yarn, but. All you really need is one pair and some wool. <laughs> I mean that's that's how you get started. And I'm very interested in having children explore that. I know the, the Waldorf program starts their um, knitting instruction before they start reading and i just think it has a lot to offer children i i teach a lot of children as a piano instructor and i keep a basket by my piano with yarn and needles because that dexterity is important and the focus is important so we really need to pass it on to children
2: and the material the wool materials you mentioned um starting out with something pretty basic and and the materials have changed um especially yes. in the last uh, couple of decades
0: they certainly have i mean we had uh we had wool and now we have wool silk blends alpaca cashmere washable uh, wool washable super wash wool yes. Um, so, like the full gamut of materials are out there, and some very fancy uh, what uh, indie dyers that are doing um, exquisite skeins. Um, so, but there again, you really just need two mm-hmm. stitches and some uh, needles. You don't, you know, the, the yarn's going to do the work for you mm. with these wonderful luxury fibers
2: we're tuned you're tuned to talk of the towns here on wednesday afternoon um, we're talking about knitting as craft and knitting as life force and you're seeing why I happen to choose those those words as a title uh, I'm joined uh, by my former co-host Jill goldthwaite. Uh, she started um, with Talk of the Towns back in 1993. But uh, she th- thought she'd bring some friends from the knitting group that she works uh, with or participates in at the Jessup Memorial Library in Bar Harbor, including Michelle McCann um, um, and Diana Krachuk And I think we're joined also now by Jen Crandall. Jen, welcome to Talk of the Towns this morning, or this afternoon.
4: <laughs> hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. And hi, ladies. Hi, Jen. Hi Jen. Hi Jen.
2: Jen, I don't know if you knew this, but um, the, your your colleagues here said that you might know more about the history of knitting than they did. So I'm throwing you that I'm throwing you that curve, but you can throw it right back to me. What, what can what can you tell us?
4: Um, well, I um, knitting's been around for quite a long time. I think the oldest piece of knitting um, was found um, in Egypt, a pair of socks, which is kind of interesting. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how old, but um, I think a couple thousand
2: years old. Sure.
4: Um, and it didn't really make it up into the um, you know the British Isles where we sort of think about it until later. Um, and an interesting tidbit is that the um, especially in this country, knitting sort of interest in knitting waxed and waned, um, but often would come back during wartime women were encouraged women and children were especially encouraged to knit soldiers socks and hats and other things that uh they needed on the front lines that weren't necessarily going to be provided for by the government the way they might be today Um, and it kind of went out of favor with women's lib um and then i think there was kind of a rebound of um, just because we can do it doesn't mean we have to, you know. And then I think uh, people realized with the back-to-the-land movement, the simplicity, the beauty of natural products and handmade things, there's the resurgence, and here we are today with it as a craze, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> a good one. Yeah.
2: Uh, Jen, what's your own background? How did you start to knit? Do you remember?
4: Yeah, actually, um, it was probably 16 or 17 years ago, I had been watching my colleagues at MDI High School knitting away at faculty meetings, and boy, I was intrigued and really wanted to learn how, and um, purchased a copy of, um, pardon the title, Stitch and Bitch, which uh, was a great book that um, had some good basic patterns and excellent um instruction sort of taught myself how to knit but then fortunately a lot of my teacher friends really helped out with uh correcting my mistakes and um you know putting me in the right direction and then the knitting group at the Jessup started and that's just been wonderful
2: and And um, what else have you done with knitting besides um, w- with your own are you interested mostly in getting a product? Do you knit because it 's a process for you what what's the the, the the range of things that you look for as you um, knit
4: i I love the prod, the final product because I want to see what it 's going to look like, but I really enjoy um, going from start to finish mm. uh, so a few years back, I learned how to spin yarn and one of my favorite things is to get a fleece fresh off the sheep process it you know wash it card it spin it up and then turn it into something beautiful so i, I, I guess i'm a process
2: person. <laughs> if we have to make the distinction, then we're not. But just <laughs> right. that, that there are so many different aspects of it. Jill? I,
1: I just learned something about Jen I did not know. I assumed she had been knitting for her whole life because she's no so idea. good at it. Who knew? Yes. That's, I mean, I think it's quite unusual to take up knitting uh, it, as an adult and become as talented at it as Jen Aww. is. And I knew that she spun and wove and did all these other things, but I had no idea. You've only been into that for two decades.
4: Yeah, it was a passion. It really um, clicked, huh. for sure. I think I've always... It was that piece, that that creative piece that was sort of missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it with, you know, gardening. And I've tried my hand at a lot of different creative outlets. But um, I think the knitting is wonderful. It's portable. It's... Um, Meditative and calming, but there's also that challenge, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel like there's always something new you can learn. So you can push yourself. Um, it's creative, but then it's also you can kind of just get in a zone. Uh, it's really the perfect craft.
2: <laughs> and, and, <laughs> nice. And you and you took knitting to a, another level by uh, incorporating it in your own travel. Tell us about the Shetland Islands.
4: Yes. Oh, what a magical place. Um, Any place that has more sheep than people is right up my alley. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, I had gone there a couple of years ago with my son. It was uh, part for enjoyment and part to um, explore how the Shetland and the Orkney Islands managed to maintain their cultural heritage while being inundated with tourists, as we are here in MDI. Um, And knitting is a huge part of the cultural heritage there in the Shetlands. Um, One of my favorite things was just being able to walk along a field or a a stone wall, and there were all sorts of little tufts of wool because the Shetland sheep, unlike Mm. um, more cultivated breeds that have to be shorn every year, Shetland sheep will um, almost shed their wool. And so you'd find these little clumps on the ground and could just kind of pick them up and fill your pockets and then spin it up into yarn and make something great with it.
2: So um, as, you, as you looked at Shetland, were there different things that the knitters there um, brought to your kind of knowledge of, of knitting? Does each community have its own kind of set of practices?
4: Um, well, Shetland's sort of, their knitting is sort of known for two things. Um, One is the Fair Isle patterning, um, or sometimes called stranded color work, where the real intricate colored patterned sweaters. Um, And then Gossamer Fine lace knitting. And um, most of that was done for sale. Um, Many of the women in these dark little hovels would spin the most glorious yarn and then uh create these beautiful works and often trade them for you know staples to um keep their homes running flour and and sugar and things like that um some of the best ones were sent off as gifts to royalty um and the Several museums and many of the communities there display the knitting. It was really um, quite amazing. And back when um, most of the uh, trade was done with ships, those um, islands were really visited by ships from all over the world. And so the um, products those women created were distributed all over the place. Um, which really popularized them. And then, uh, I don't know, I suppose it was probably air travel that kind of slowed things down a little bit. But there's been quite a revival, um, even there in the Shetlands. And there's this year was the 10th year of Shetland Wool Week, which, boy, I would love to go someday. Um, But thousands of knitters descend on these tiny little islands for the week to explore the knitting history and... Mm -hmm. Shops and have lectures and classes and sounds um, heavenly.
2: That <laughs> <laughs> sounds great, <laughs> Jen. Well, thanks so much for being with us um, here on Talk of the Towns. We'll let you go and continue our conversation. But um, thanks for your inspiration this mo- this afternoon. Excellent. Thanks so much, Ron. Uh, Bye, Jen Crandall, um, a member of the Knitters Group in at the J- uh, Jessup Library, and also a staff member at MDI Mount Desert Island High School. Um, Michelle, you've you've kind of begun to think about this coming the other way. You've got a cruise ship connection, but first of all, tell us about um, knit fit because that's a whole different animal, I think. Thank
0: you. Yes, yes. It all it all started. Um, rather innocently. Um, I'm a member of the MDI YMCA, and I have been for years. And I was at a point where I wanted to give back to the Y community. I was looking for a way, maybe teach a class. And I knew it it wasn't going to be weightlifting or boxing or (laughs) diving. So, but I could teach knitting. And I have taught uh, my piano students how to knit. So, uh, I started thinking, well, what's the angle with fitness? So the Y has a beautiful, indoor, smooth, even, well-maintained track, and I started to just take my knitting along and walk the track, and I found out that that was pretty enjoyable. Um, and you tra- attract a lot of attention when you knit and walk, so... Other knitters started to join me, and we decided that, yeah, this could definitely be a class. I I find, you know, whenever you get knitters together, you're just going to have a blast. Right, so this took off quite nicely. So now we do meet. Uh, Lit fit meets on Wednesdays, um, at the MDIY at eleven. Uh, 11 a.m. We walk the track. We were there this morning, and then uh, we convene in the multi-purpose room afterwards, and we just socialize. We uh, the Y provides coffee and tea, and we share patterns and technical support, and also we offer instruction to new uh, beginner knitters. So
2: So when I first heard this story, I kind of ground truthed it with knitters that I knew. And they said, that's impossible. You can't knit and walk at the same time. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well,
0: that's interesting because...
2: (laughs) You uh, do, you do.
0: (laughs) Most of my... Test knitters, I call them test knit walkers. They found it quite easy to get their uh, feet and their steps in their stitches in line and sync. <laughs> and so, but I, I, you know, I do have some practical suggestions for that. I mean, there is a bit of uh, choreography involved, right? Right. So you want to preferably... You'll have circular needles because your stitches won't slide off your needle. You'll have a very basic project, like a hat, which is done circular anyway. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? you want. Oh, you want good footwear. You mm. want appropriate shoes, right? Um, uh, smooth surface to walk on. It can be do, done inside uh, on a track. You could do it at a, in a mall. Uh, our group meets in the uh, summertime. We walk the uh, carriage paths.
3: Mm. So, and those, of course, are ideal. So, well, so you know, can I ask? Yes, about please. The thing that you <laughs> this really, this is Diana need? asking. Yep. Because I have a story about this that I will relate after you describe this. But you need somewhere to store your yarn. Oh, thank you. What a good question.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How did you come up with that (laughs) question? So, um, yes, I wanted to encourage more knitters to to try this. And so I wrote a little how-to booklet, um, How to Get Started Knit Walking. And then I designed a little portable bag, Mm -hmm. which is lightweight and durable and I'm trying kind of for the L.L. Bean sporty look.
1: And And you wear it on your arm.
0: And you wear it on your wrist. Uh Yeah. Uh And that will hold your skein of yarn. I don't recommend you put all your cell phone, your makeup, (laughs) your sunscreen, (laughs) your water (laughs) bottle in there. Right. For the uh, ergonomics of it. But yeah, so uh, since then I've put together a kit which involves these portable bags and the how-to booklet and your circular needles and a sample pattern. So mm-hmm. I really want to encourage knitters to have everything they need to start their
2: and to get fit. Journey. I mean that's the whole notion that, that if you're you're sedentary all the time, you're not going to be there healthy. There you go.
0: Right. There right. you go. Not that we uh, have to do all of our knitting while we're walking no, because no. we're all going to end up on the couch with our knitting in the evening. <laughs> All of us.
2: Well, I'm going to come back to you about um, the cruise ship connection, but I want Diana to talk a little bit about um, oh. her kind of seventy thousand. She says um, people are following her her website.
3: Yes, in, in various ways. So how did you get? Media, how did that get started? Like that. Oh goodness! So I I started knitting and fell in love with this yarn company. It's it's called Rowan yarn. They had been doing these. It wasn't even knitting patterns. It looked like art. The The magazines are so big, they take up an entire coffee table. And when you open them, you might not even see the sweater because they're in a castle or in front of an English garden. So it was really almost artistic, and I had never thought of knitting in that way. And about a, I had been knitting for a while, and then this this little thing came out in the magazine, a little ad that said, um, B.R., what was it, Rowan... Rowan representative or something there was some word for it I don't know Rowan ambassador I think they called it and it was a little contest so I submitted a little essay a little abstract about my work and what I had done and and some pictures of different Rowan things I'd made and I was one of I think 11 people who they decided to take on so all of a sudden I had this connection to this yarn company in Rowan And they were sending me these magazines and yarn, and I had nowhere to talk about any of this. I was on Ravelry. That's something we haven't talked about. If you're a knitter, you know Ravelry is a place where you can put down – it's a database almost of patterns, yarn, and the people who make all the things. So you take a pattern, you can see all the people who made it and see the pictures of what they made or what alterations they made. It's a very good resource for knitters. But um, that's not really a place that you can talk about things. There's no blog form or anything. So I started Diana Knits. And with that, how else do you say a new blog post is there unless you create a social media account? (laughs) So I created a Facebook page and um, only got into Instagram recently, obviously. This is now. I feel like it's seven or eight years ago now mm. that this all started. So this has just grown out of nowhere. I, I don't sell my knits. Um, I don't think people know how much really it would cost, in my opinion. Um, to, the yarn alone is quite expensive, but the work that goes into it and the sizing and, and all of that, I think um, I would ask, I think, more than people would expect. So that's not something that I'm really keen on. Um, Instead, what I enjoy is using it as a platform to kind of show people that they can do more than they think. Um, That really simple changes in your knitting can really bring it out or make a wow factor to the knitting. Or, you know, a lot of people I talk to, they make something and they don't like the fit. And they don't know that they can fix it after they've knitted it don't even have to go back there are ways to make things better without even having to re-knit them so that's one of my big priorities is to to just show people that um, it doesn't stop at any point that knitting is much more malleable than than people
2: think mm-hmm. so it's, it seems like um, what you're saying is that knitting doesn't finish doesn't. oh well, no it doesn't yeah. and you know right now do you see these threads
1: <laughs> <laughs> diana has
3: Eight inches of yarn so hanging out the sleeve of her sweater. I have two threads out of the sleeves of my sweater. Oh, uh-huh. I feel so good. Because I I made this sleeve too long, and I thought, okay, should I cuff it? Maybe I make a thumb hole. This was now five or six years ago. I don't oh. even know now. I haven't decided. So I keep the strings hanging out. <laughs> this is unfinished. It is unfinished. And maybe ten years I'll come back to you, and I'll be like, guess what?
2: You've finished it. it for now, at <laughs> yes. least. Let's uh, invite our listeners to call um, 1-866-625-9378 or four six nine zero five zero zero as we talk about knitting as craft, knitting as life force, Four six nine zero five zero zero. Our guests include Diana Krawchuk, uh the blogger behind Diana Knits. Michelle McCann, originator of Knit Fit at the MDIYMCA, and Jill Goldthwaite, who is a member of the knitters group at the Jessup Memorial Library. But give us a call with your own experience. Perhaps you've got a knitting group that you're very um, intrigued with or proud of. Um, we'd like to hear from, from you about your experience, 469-0500. Um, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your cruise ship connection, um, something that might be happening next fall.
0: Yes, well, this is just in the works, and so we're working out some details, but we were contacted, KnitFit was contacted by the Vogue Knitting um, group, and they are planning a cruise that will land in Bar Harbor in uh, September. So we are looking at offering them a uh, KnitFit demonstration and doing maybe a practice walk and just entertaining these other knitters and forming in a community now with some um, people from away so
2: so it's an experiment. We'll, we'll come back to you and find out how it goes.
0: Exactly.
2: But it's it's great to, to kind of recognize, um, just as Jen Crandall did, that you can travel and bring your hobby or your craft or your your avocation with you.
0: Exactly, yeah. We expect these to be very seasoned knitters. So, And um, I'm one that feels like you can learn from a beginner or an intermediate. I think you can learn from any knitter. But uh, I'm really looking forward to this group.
2: Great. Four, six, nine zero five zero zero to participate in our conversation about knitting as craft or knitting as life force. And we have jury um, from Cranberry Isles. Welcome to talk of the towns jury.
4: Hi, uh, thank you for showing us all the various um, approaches to knitting. Um, I just had a question. Are any of you familiar with a book called knitting without tears,
2: knitting without tears,
4: yes. Elizabeth Zimmerman. I yes. Think. yes. Yeah. Could you talk about that? Because it changed the way i knit for so much i mean it took a lot of the stress out of starting anything continuing with anything or fixing anything
2: afterwards so you're a knitter um but, I, but it, it, it sounds like there were tears involved
4: well <laughs> <laughs> well at least it relieved any tears that could be oh, you know okay. so yeah I, I i hope um some of your your um guests could
1: talk about that book tears is a euphemism for screaming and swearing (laughs) exactly yes
2: (laughs) thank you jerry some comments diana
1: yeah i
3: knew that book immediately because it was one of the first ones i ever looked at and um she's absolutely right elizabeth zimmerman has a very very um in your face way of saying you can do it." It, it you will literally be reading an instruction and suddenly she'll go into all caps no, you can do this kind of thing. <laughs> it's like she's speaking to you, and um, it's it, it just it just takes all the difficulty out. She'll say something like, you may have been told that you can only do this or that. You know, nonsense, period. <laughs> you can do it, you know. And then she tells you a, nut, a much easier way to do it, and, um, yeah, stops the tears. Have you yes. read it?
0: Oh, yes. She's like one of the forerunners of the just this the knitting um, field, and uh, she writes more like a recipe, which I like to follow, rather than specific directions, so she gives you a lot of leeway with your knitting, and she's an inspiration. She was one that always took her knitting to her camp and worked out patterns, um, designed her own ideas, and she's, yeah, she's one of our heroes. Mm.
2: So it sounds like that, that frustration and that notion that um, people are told that they can't do something and she's helped people break through that.
1: Absolutely.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's a very weird craft to start because it's just very awkward. I just suddenly thought about playing the bagpipes and how it feels like you're holding an octopus <laughs> and you're trying to keep the drones up and the chanter down and the bag inflated. And it, knitting is somewhat like that. It feels terrible, frankly, in your hands when you start. And many people. Somebody today said to me, I can't knit, I just, I'm not, I'm unteachable, and you can, you just have to persist long enough that suddenly those sticks and that string feels okay in your hands, and then you can learn how to do the knitting stuff, but that's a difficult hurdle for a mm-hmm. lot of
2: people mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 4690500 zero, zero, zero. participate in our conversation about knitting perhaps you've got a knitters group that you're part of and you'd like to share a story about that um, the uh, the the Jessup group which is part of what what spawned this what do you see as the as the kind of the function of that group Jill what what does it produce it gives
1: us an outlet for our dangerous sides <laughs> <laughs> um it's just a great sense of community and i i i have a fairly um busy schedule normally as i think both michelle and diana do there are very few things that will cause me to miss a thursday night knitting group it's just very restorative we just laugh for two hours and um they quietly close the door to the room we're in at the <laughs> library and um and we just take off and do things. And the topics that we wow. cover in conversation are extraordinarily broad, sometimes knitting, sometimes life issues, sometimes one person in the group will be having a struggle with something, and everybody chimes in to help. So it really is a, a fellowship um, that, and, and that part of it means as much to me, certainly, as the knitting. And, and I'll add that You know, Diana mentioned that she doesn't sell her things. The sweater she has on, that's a $500 (laughs) sweater right there, and it probably would not cover her time. Mm -hmm. But if you buy reasonably good yarn, the time that you put into a product, there is no way you can charge that. So a lot of us knit for various, you know, fairs and things, and it's basically a donation because most of those things are priced at like maybe $10 for a hat. The yarn costs more than that, and, so the, and that doesn't account for any of your time. But it, it seems to me that most knitters would rather completely donate an item than sell it for much less mm-hmm. than it's worth. Mm-hmm. And um, within the Jessup group, we, a wonderful young man donated a little rowing skiff to us we covered that boat in yarn and knitted a four foot sail and it went in the 4th of July parade as uh, the float for the Jessup library the Machia Savings Bank in Bar Harbor was kind enough to say I think that boat will fit in our lobby <laughs> so we moved it into the lobby put, filled it up with used books and sold books out of it all summer long at the bank to benefit the library uh, we got the, the call went out in the knitting community that there were a lot of refugees coming to Portland from warmer climates. And people were sending hats, scarves, mittens to Portland for the refugees. Uh, I take some things when we go to Cape Breton in the spring and donate them to a little historical society there. And they sell them out of their gift shop. Uh, we gave some items to our local police department because the community police officer joined us one night at knitting and he said that they find people in the winter who are ill equipped for cold main winter weather so we gave some mittens and some hats and scarves that could be given out to anybody they came across who needed those things so knitters are wonderfully charitable human beings and as i say we'd really rather kind of give it away altogether than than price it and have it go for an amount that in no way recognizes what has gone into that item mm-hmm.
2: The, the, I, can, I can see two things. Um, one is this notion of um, knitting um, a group of people and the social connections. And I can see that going back in time, um, back yes. to Shetland Islands mm-hmm. or, or um, through Scotland or England or Europe, um, perhaps in, in, in Egypt. But, you know, um, I can see that the, the um, ability for uh, people to get together, and most of those are women, um, I assume. Um, and that was a really important thing.
1: Well, as you, I'm sure, know, Ron, in Scotland, uh, the walking songs, W-A-U-L-K, was a way of preparing yarn to be woven, and a group of people, men and women, would sit around a table, and this would be wet. It would be like an enormous loop of yarn of multiple strands, you'd wet that, and you'd bang it on the table, and then pass your handhold to the next person, and bang it again, and, and this got the yarn prepared softened if you will for weaving purposes but there were songs that went along with that so that you could keep the rhythm of this banging and passing and banging and passing and so yeah it was a tremendous community um ritual really that involved music, singing, being together. I'm sure there was food and tea and things like that. So, mm. yes, it was mm. a, a binding factor within a community.
2: And then that notion of, of whether you sell your product or not, the, the product for your knitting. Um, a, a couple of months ago, we had a show that talked about the origins of the Haystack Mountain School of Crafts. Mm-hmm. And the originator of that um, said, you know, we've come to an age when it's so much is easily purchased mm-hmm. in the commercial area isn't it really important that we have something we've made ourselves yes. um, and that's been the basis of the craft movement and that goes back into at least the 30s um, in the United States and then um, the notion that Jen talked about um, knitting comes back at time of war I hope that the, we're not going to see that right now but um, I'm wearing a sweater that my grandfather was given probably when he returned in 1918 um, from World War I And you know that was pristine.
3: It is. It's It's beautiful. beautiful. I don't. I don't
2: wear it. I'm sure he didn't wear it in battle, (laughs) but um, this notion. And then World War Two. The Revolutionary War had the same kind of impetus, civil war, so um, knitting is a, is a part of our our culture. <laughs> I, I don't like yes. to think of it as, as a, 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 a solve to, to, to war, but um, we recognize that those needs are there. 469-0500 um, here on Talk of the Towns as we talk about knitting as craft and knitting as life force. We've got another 10 minutes or so, so give us a call if you've got your own experience um, or questions for our guests, um, Jill both Michelle McCann or Diana Krachuk here in the studio. Yes, Diana.
3: Well, I was going to talk a little more about selling mm. or money or um, maybe getting something out of your craft if you want to get into yes. this kind of thing. And so maybe selling what you make is, is not going to work for you. You have to do too much and maybe don't get the return. But there are other ways to make money from this type of thing. Um, a lot of people design patterns, and Ravelry, which was this uh, website that I referred to before, many, many, I'm going to say thousands of designers are creating patterns that they can sell as single PDFs online and they get that full money back. Whatever they ask, depending on whether someone's willing to pay, they'll get that back. And some people, you can tell that they've—there's there's 30,000 projects of that pattern, meaning that they are making a really nice income from that it might not be everything they can't leave their day job i don't know but that's a very very cool thing that i think has changed in the last decade or, or exactly. two
2: and the, that's the individuals can right but it. and and that's the influence of the internet
3: i think so exactly. as yeah. well
2: Right. Um, exactly. Before we were we were stuck, I think, with magazines, were general <laughs> yes, distribution, yes, exactly. but you had to buy the magazine or have yeah. a subscription. And
3: they own the right. rights. That's the right. thing. You could never right. resell your, your right. work. Right. So. Right. We do
2: have a phone call from okay. Roberta from Bar Harbor. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please.
1: Hi, Jill. It's Roberta. Hey, Robo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fellow knitter, and
4: I think knitting is great meditation. And there were times when Jill might remember when way back we worked in the hospital when doctors smoked at the nurses' station and we missed and watched monitors. Yes,
1: I do remember. Do <laughs> you remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yarn has gotten a lot pricier and there are certain stores I have to stay away from. Be-
2: I can because you could fast. you could get in trouble, Roberta if you, <laughs> you could
1: get you could get in trouble in fact this gift i'm making for my daughter oh if i could have just bought it i don't know if i'll ever get it done Mm. but usually i can knit and breathe but not on this pattern can't do it yeah (laughs) roberta another thing i another thing i remember is in ob if we didn't have a patient that night, we would be knitting. And the uh, the myth was that if you dropped a knitting needle, you'd get an OB yes. patient in. It makes a very distinctive <laughs> right. sound when a knitting needle hits the floor, and you'd hear that ping, and somebody would say, oh, no, we're getting a patient. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll join you some evening. That would Good. be great. Great, great program. Thanks for calling.
2: Thank you for your call. Okay. Four six nine zero five zero zero. So I don't know. Are there other stories that you want to tell? We've got about ten minutes left. Um, are there stories that you want to tell, or or perhaps um, you, somebody's listening to the show and you, they want to get started? Um, Diana, how would they get started with knitting? Yes. I mean, what what are some very practical ways that people might yes. explore this?
3: So I think that a lot of people would find solace with YouTube. So there's a a gajillion different really well done channels from bloggers or even knitting magazines that have created resources for you. But I do think that a lot of people need the hands on visual view of what's happening in front of them. So it's the knitting group um, at the Jessup Library Mm. group. We are extremely happy when we have new knitters come in. We're happy to drop our own projects, drink a little wine, and help them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully mm-hmm. they can get out of there and be excited enough to come back and start uh, working with us again, so I think your knitting group usually has the best resource for you to learn. Mm. And we've we
2: focused on this particular knitting group, but I'm assuming that there are knitting there groups are all throughout those. WERU's listening area and beyond.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I go to the Bar Harbor Congregational Church, and we have a tradition of prayer shawls, and women will or knitters will make a shawl and bring it to church, and then our pastor. We'll give those out to people who are ill or need comfort of some sort, both men and women. And people seem to really love receiving these, but we use so many of them that we need some new knitters. And the pastor said, well, how about if we get a group together after church and you can show them how to knit and then they can go home and make prayer shawls? And we said, um... It's not quite that easy. I I thought about, you know, the Sunbeam, the Seacoast Mission boat. It would go out to sea, and if an island needed a visit, they'd put a flag up so the boat would know to stop there. I thought that should be like that with knitters. If you're stuck on a knitting project, put a flag up in front of your house, and (laughs) any knitter (laughs) driving by could stop in and help you out. (laughs) But you do need proximity to a a knitter when you're first starting because it's just maddening. You go home from, you know, your lesson – and then you've got a situation that you can't handle and you can't do anything until the next week when the group meets or whatever. So it it's pretty important to have somebody fairly nearby although as Diana said there for almost any knitting technique you can find a great 2 minute YouTube thing that that's very helpful.
2: Well, we're getting the sign that we're Almost oh. out of time, so um, maybe we could close with each of you sharing some short inspirational story, something that that um, either inspires you or perhaps will inspire other knitters. Who would I, like to start?
0: I will start. Michelle? yeah, because I um, I'm inspired by a mom of uh, who has four children who gets up every morning or so and hits the carriage paths with her knitting. Uh, her knit fit bag and starts walking and then she will um, message me with her statistics something like oh well today I did two miles and 12 rows
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's great so you've you've created a whole new genre of
3: exactly yes
2: Uh, Diana uh, something that inspires you or you think might inspire others
3: I want to talk a little bit about the social media aspect Mm. of things. Mm. I think um, I'm – this is going to be weird for you to hear, but in some ways I'm a very reserved person and I like to be alone. Um, And social media has opened up the entire world, literally, Mm. to me to be able to discuss with people or they ask me questions about knitting or even my life, it doesn't matter. Um, And I moved here knowing nobody from Montreal – And I decided to write a blog post telling everyone who was following that I had moved and this was my new house and everything. And there was a property behind me that was quirky with some really interesting buildings on it. So I was exploring there and I took pictures and I posted the blog. And I got a message, an email that next day. From someone in Blue Hill, she is a hand dyer, uh, the owner of Seven Sisters Arts. She says, you don't know me, but I helped clear that land back there. That thing, that little thing you showed, that was where we kept the goats. And uh, my heel still hurts from that trunk that I tripped over. You know, all these things. And um, within a few weeks, I was going to Blue Hill, which I'd never been to before, meeting the knitting community. I didn't have a job. I, You know, I wasn't integrated before, and suddenly I was, through this weird internet, social media type thing.
2: And you've actually translated that social media knowledge into your full-time job.
3: Yes, I have to say that um, I'm extremely lucky. I'm a scientist by training, um, and I really did want to leave research but try a science communication type of job. And... This social media um, manager came up at the Jackson Laboratory here. My husband is a scientist there. And I looked at my resume and I said, I'm a scientist and I do social media. Wait, this is perfect. <laughs> and um, it changed my career completely. Um, it's I I adore it. It's perfect for me.
2: Great. Jill Gothwaite, <laughs> what uh, inspiration might you leave us with?
1: Well, there are two things for me. One is um, sort of being a hat and mittens knitter. It really opened me up to how many other possibilities there are in the knitting world and how many, the kinds of things that people are doing in knitting. It's just amazing to me. But I'm just thinking about the fact that we tend to live in this relatively stratified society now where we communicate mostly to people in our own, Um, social group or have similar ideas politically or whatever knitting really brings together people who are can be very different and when i think of the sort of the basic profile of the people in our group that is a group of people i can't quite picture mixing over anything else but knitting
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so kind of a leveler It is. Or society. Or a gatherer. And and I was reading something um, from a a Scottish writer who had been up in the the Yukon territories, and uh, she said that the, the tribe that she was visiting had long ago said the bow and arrow war did not make sense. Wouldn't it be better if we just had contests between the two villages? And the contest would decide... So maybe we have knitting contests to to resolve the world's problems.
3: Blue Hill, are you out there? We'll come back and tell you how that goes.
2: (laughs) Well, we've come to the end of the hour, um, our first hour with our new time and day. Be sure and join us on the uh, second Wednesday of each month from 4 to 5 for Talk of the Towns podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website if you've got comments or suggestions for topics please email us at news at w-e-r-u.org. thanks again to our guests in the studios we talked about knitting as craft knitting as life force Jill Goldthwaite Michelle McCann and Diana Krachak. also we were joined uh, by phone by Jen Crandall our theme music is a medley from Koranak on a Balmain House Highland Music Recording Uh, Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering. Thanks to those of you who called in. And stay tuned for more great music and talk on WERU. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. A good afternoon.